Welcome to episode 68 of Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and this is a podcast about communication skills. So I'm excited for the next few episodes. I've got a bunch of things lined up about some really key issues in communication um, that I think are fairly simple and fairly direct, but also really, really powerful. Um, and uh, they should be short episodes because the ideas or the concepts are so simple and so direct. Um, But at the same time, they get at some of the most complicated and profound and powerful or important components of the communicative process. So anyway, the title of today's episode um, is The Importance, The Danger, and The Power of We, and I have we in quotation marks. And I think that, um, I'm a rhetorician, so I think that the word we is perhaps the most important word that we use in our language and in our communication practices because of the kind of communicative labor it's able to do or the kind of communicative work it's able to do. And it's also a word that is hidden in plain sight. So everybody uses it all the time. It's a very, very common word to use. And when people use it, it its use is hidden to the extent that uh, we don't consciously reflect on who the we is, yet who the we is is often the most important thing behind its use. Um, Okay, so I want to start with an example and then try to unpack the significance of the example and then reflect on this as a kind of communication problem. so I, uh, this is a real example happened just this week to, to me. I was in, uh, in, the, in the middle of what I would call a conflict between my department and another department on campus. And um, this other department on campus sent this message about my department. And the message was such and such a proposal is not good for us. And we should reject it and then it went on to elaborate some reasons about i mean not very good reasons but reasons why uh we should reject the proposal and why it would be bad for us and this is sort of um this is a very very powerful powerful move because the person writing that message has just with the use of the word we, constructed a map of the world. And that map of the world, as it was constructed, includes a division between a group of people on one side and a group of people on the other side. And they've said that those two groups of people cannot or do not, um, are not related in any, in what rhetorical terms would be, consubstantial way. Um, In other words, they don't share an important components of an identity. And it's bizarre. It's a totally bizarre thing to say because we 
all of us inhabit the Faculty of Arts at the University of Waterloo. We're all members of the same faculty. We're all members of the same university. We all study similar things. There are so many ways in which we collectively are already a we, yet this person can only see or can only map the world in terms of us versus them and we as distinct from, from them. And it becomes a kind of rhetorical feat to undo that structuring of the world, because the, the, the structure that of the world that's put in place now with this division between two groups of people is so powerful that it will orient the thinking and orient all of the arguments that issue from that kind of map of the world. And uh, I haven't said this to the members of that department yet, although I, I will eventually. If they insist on constructing a bunch of people that are in the Faculty of Arts with them as them, as not we, as opposite, as opponents, etc., they can't be surprised when those opponents uh, are, or when they end up in a fight with those opponents. So whenever you have a we, so here's the power of the we, whenever you have a we, there's also a not we. You're implying uh, implicitly that there's a group of people that don't belong to us. And you've seen or implied or rhetorically constructed an opposition between us and them. And as soon as that opposition between us and them is in, in, in place, you've constructed a world in which you need to navigate that distinction or that difference between us and them. And the arguments that follow will fill in the picture of an us or an a them. And here's the, the kind of hugely important thing about human beings. All human beings see themselves as parts of a we. And it's extraordinarily uh, effective um, because we want to feel like we're parts of a we. We want to think about ourselves in strong bonded relationships between with, with another group. Um, now, what helps strengthen that bond, and I've talked about this before on this podcast, is when there's an us to see ourselves in opposition to. So the, the power of the we comes from its ability to rhetorically construct an other, that's not we, and strengthen the bonds between the people that now see themselves as members of the we. But the question is always, well, who's the, the we is never a natural category. There's nothing natural about that department in my faculty understanding themselves as opposed to another department as, and as a we uh, with a collective identity that's separate from or different from or rhetorically construct as, constructed as opposed to other departments in the faculty. This happened uh, in, a, in, a, in a meeting also with a totally different, we have a, a schools in the Faculty of Arts also, one, uh, the director of one of the schools said, oh, like we do this and that's different from the rest of you. And as soon as he did that, he went on to make a long elaborate point which was a very, very good and very, very compelling point. And the rest of us had to deal with his good and compelling point. But the point rested entirely on us understanding the world as divided between us and them. And as divided between the members of one school as opposed to the rest of the members of the, of the Faculty of Arts. So with just the use of one word, just the use of the word we, he had mapped the world in such a way that this distinction between us and them really, really mattered and was the most salient feature of understanding the problem that we faced and it drove every one of his arguments. The, the, and the people in the room, when this director made, made this comment, struggled really hard to know how to respond to those arguments. 
And the struggle was because the arguments made sense inside a world in which there was an us and them in the way that he constructed that world. And no one or people tried to reframe his view of the world by suggesting that it shouldn't be about us and them or we and not we, but that he needed to see himself as embedded in a larger social structure and a larger we. And if he just understood the relationship between his faculty members and the Faculty of Arts more broadly, and he recalibrated who counts as we or or reimagined who counts as the we and the not we or the us and the them, then it would shift the dynamics of the argument he would make. And those people were right, but they didn't get very far because this person was deeply reluctant to see the relationships between the departments as, this, as a significant kind of making of a we. Now, what happens organizationally and professionally in all sorts of settings is that us's and them's get um, get constructed and reconstructed and powerfully kind of put in place so that very little rhetorical work gets devoted to undoing those us and them binaries or boundaries and uh, thickening or strengthening or providing reason or texture or um, or depth to a we that exists beyond those us them binaries. So in, in my own professional circumstances, what that means is that most people in most faculty members in the Faculty of Arts at the University of Waterloo inhabit a department and they don't spend a lot of time outside their department. And in fact, Waterloo is kind of notorious for having these kind of fiefdoms between and they don't spend a lot of time outside their faculties. So the faculty of, of math or the faculty of engineering sees itself as an us and the faculty of arts as a them. And that gets constructed and, and reconstructed and powerfully kind of put in place. And none of us spend very much time outside of the silos of our own departmental organizational structure, our own faculty organizational structure. So there's no rhetorical work that's put towards stitching together a we beyond the department uh, or beyond the immediate, small, uh, very insular kind of we that gets articulated by both that director, that school, and this other department that I'm talking about. Um, but like that's the case in, in all sorts of companies too. Uh, I'm rewatching Mad Men right now. And in the show, you can see how the, the creative and the account executives are separate we's and they understand themselves as separate and they understand themselves as in con contrast and in competition with one another. And one under understands itself as more valuable, but at least those guys, they put work into um, stitching together a more collective we that it's Sterling Cooper or whatever the, the company is, is called. Uh, really, really good companies know that it's okay to have tensions or distinctions between parts of an organizational culture, but if they're not complemented by a strong attempt to, to kind of coordinate or develop a collective we beyond those us them binaries, then you're going to, then things are going to fall apart eventually. Um, Okay, so whenever you, uh, it's, I said before, I think that everyone sees themselves as a we, but it's important to ask who the we is. And every rhetorician or anybody that's really, really good, any master of communication, when they hear the word we, bells go off and you got to pay attention and you have to ask yourself, who does this person mean by the we? And how does that we construct or map a particular world so and and the third question is how does that we imply a not we and position a group in oppositional or distinct or, or ways of of marked by difference so you know who's the we how does the we map the world and how does the we create an enemy essentially 
Um, and how might that dynamic between the us and them that's mapped in this world influence the kinds of decisions that get made, the kinds of things that people think are reasonable or unreasonable, the kind of arguments that make sense and that don't make sense. And masters of communication are also able to um, invoke or construct we's that didn't exist before and then use that mapping of the world in order to enact a vision uh, or a broader or bigger vision or, or in order to enact or drive change. Sometimes masters of communication uh, construct we's intentionally to manufacture opponents and then use the divisiveness or the polarization between those opposite positions to drive change. In any case, both are, are both require a kind of acknowledgement or awareness of the power of we to map the world. Um, I also think, and I don't I have less evidence for this, um, but I think it, it seems or appears to be true to me, but really good communicators are able to articulate we's that are more inclusive, not less inclusive. Uh, ultimately, you want a greater number of people to feel a sense of connectedness or identity with you as, the, as a rhetor or as a communicator. And you do a kind of disservice or you really kind of shoot yourself in the foot if the we's you construct are extraordinarily narrow and exclusive. And I think one of the things this other department in the Faculty of Arts is doing is it's really harming itself by having such a narrow conception of who the we is. So they spend a lot of time fighting and arguing with an enemy or with, that they could very easily be friends with because they've mapped the world in terms of us and them. And it's a, such a narrow mapping of the world. We're talking about you know, a total of like 50, 60 people here with 30, on, 30, 35 on one side, 20, 25 on the other. Like, why would you map the world like that? What, what do you get out of that? It's a very narrow and exclusive rhetorical construction of a we. And more often than not, uh, master communicators are able to construct we's that are broader and more inclusive because it's, it can facilitate change in uh, better or more effective ways. If more people see themselves as identifying with you or are strongly connected to you uh, and, uh, and feel that affective sense of belonging to a we, then uh, you have a greater chance of actually changing some things. So, um, okay, so I think that more than any other word that we have, we implies or constructs a map of the world. And that map has the power to determine uh, the rhetorical course of a conversation or an exchange. So I tell my students, um, always be asking those questions. You know, when you, as soon as you hear the word we, ask yourself, who is the we? As soon as you hear the word we, ask yourself, how is this mapping the world? And, and how does that map of the world condition the course of an argument or the course of a conversation? And as soon as you hear the word we, ask yourself, who's the not we? Who's the opposition or who's the enemy that's being constructed by the articulation of this particular we? Um, you should also be leery of people. I think that uh, I think that in communication, you should be leery of people that never speak in a we, that are only speaking of an I. Uh, there's a kind of egomaniacal sense in which a person, Donald Trump right now, can claim that he is the we. Um, so when a person says, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that, or my department will do this, or my group will do that, or our, my organization will do this, they are seeking to, to assert ownership over a thing that they don't really own. Um, and they think that they mistake the we 
for them that their idea or their opinion is is all that is for the for the we uh, that's a kind of a smaller side point but it's something to to look out for at the least um, okay so I think there's also a bit of danger when the we is too abstract so right now we're kind of living through what what will feel like the longest campaign in American electoral history I think as the Democrats trying to to elect a nominee for the presidency and all of them are invoking the we but I don't know how many audiences affectively feel members of the we's that are being invoked so they try to say like we Americans all of us we're all Americans we're all doing this but it's so broad and so abstract and so capacious that I'm not sure it does the kind of work that they need it to do it's a particular challenge of presidential elections or elections for uh, positions of power within large large-scale multicultural democracies that are incredibly diverse because stitching a we together out of that diversity is kind of the point of the job in some sense like the rhetorical job of the president or of the prime minister of canada is to construct a we and to hold that we together but it's enormously difficult because of the level of abstraction at which you work so i want to to caution also that the i don't think um i don't think elections for things like president or prime minister are necessarily won and lost with the word we I think it's more powerful actually in more local circumstances. So the ways in which neighbors might conceptualize themselves as us and them, the ways in which members of the same company or the same faculty um, or even the same family might construct themselves as us and them. Imagine kind of a husband and a wife and the wife has a big family and the husband has a big family and they go to one family reunion and the other family reunion and the husband thinks, well, you know, them over there, they have that family reunion and we have our family reunion over here. Uh, notice how that can powerfully construct or control a dynamic inside the relationship itself. There's no abstraction at that level of us and them. It's super concrete. Um, and if you have neighbors that say, oh, those neighbors over there, they don't, you know, do this sort of thing, but we over here do that kind of thing. It's, it's very real and very visceral and very concrete. And that adds, I think, to the power of, of the us and them. So I would tell people to pay more attention to the use of we in everyday micro-communication practices and less attention to it in the kind of broad public argument, uh, political debates between Democrats and Republicans or liberals and conservatives in, in Canada, um, mostly because also political parties, you know, in America, at least more so than in Canada, but like people see themselves as Democrats, that determines how they're going to vote. And so they've already made a decision about the we. And a politician is trying to articulate a we that's beyond just party affiliation. But really, you know, we're not even sure that's a very good electoral strategy. Like it might just be better to really whip up all the Democrats that already see themselves as we's, um, as members of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, etc., and get those people to the polls. Uh, in opposition to the Republican or in opposition to whatever party it is that you happen to hate or dislike. Mm -hmm. um, so us, them kind of, I think us, them kind of we, not we binaries are most powerful in their most everyday local concrete circumstances. And master communicators are able to 
pay most attention in those concrete smaller circumstances. And so the last thing I'll say about this is I think in the smaller circumstances, in the concrete occasions in which the we is uttered, those are the occasions in which the we is most likely not reflectively or consciously thought through. So someone slips it into conversation. And so my colleagues in this other department, I don't even think they realize they're doing it. They just do it out of habit and unconsciously, unreflectively, they think us, them, we, not we, that's it. And that is uh, unfortunate. And so the job of the master communicator is to make what's hidden visible or what's invisible, invisible, visible. And one of the things that's invisible sometimes in these local concrete circumstances is how powerful the we really is. And you have to stop the whole communicative enterprise and say, okay, who is the we that's being constructed here? Who's the not we? And is that the way we wanna map the world? And if we choose to map the world that way, we can't be surprised that we end up with enemies in our own houses, in our own faculties or in our own organizations or in our own professional circumstances, we end up with enemies because we just map the world in a really local concrete way around that dichotomy. And then it just goes and operates and no one stops and asks the question, is this really the we we want uh, conditioning or governing how we relate to one another? Um, okay, so remember, uh, we is one of the most extraordinarily powerful words we use in English in, in communication, and it has enormous effects on mapping the world and constructing oppositions. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'll be back shortly with another new episode.